a wide view there. Hello and welcome everyone to another InventRight Q&A. My name is Andrew Krauss. I'm the co-founder here, one of the co-founders. Stephen Keys, our other co-founder. We're going to do a whole hour of Q&A on inventing. So just to kind of set the stage here, I see you guys have typed in a lot of your questions. So go ahead and type some more in. Um, InventRight, we're focused on licensing. So when you license, you don't need to raise money. You don't need um, to hire employees and you don't need to get exist distribution for your product because the company you license to does all that. Their money, their workforce, and their existing distribution. This means you can keep your day job or your business or do whatever it is you do. A lot of people are like, I, I don't want to mortgage my house and home and quit my job. Because you, to be honest with you guys, you really can't run a business and launch a product um, without it being a full-time endeavor. Most of the time, not even... 40 hours a week, but 60 or 70 or 80 hour weeks, you know, if you want to be successful. Um, yeah, some people will launch a product and put it up on Etsy and sell something on eBay here or there. But um, to launch a product and venture it is very, very difficult and costly. So licensing, what we're going to talk about here today, solves that problem. You're going to use the big company's money, their workforce and their existing distribution. The other thing I'll say that I never remember to do at the beginning, but I always do around the middle, little legal disclaimer, anything I share with you today should not be considered legal advice. It's business advice. Please consult your attorney before you move forward on anything uh, legal. So um, let's jump in. Uh, if you guys could type, start typing your questions in, that would be great. Um, Caleb, you know, eventually here, I can, I can see it just fine now, but eventually I'm going to need to get glasses. I got these cheap readers here sometimes that I use. But um, so I'm not at the point where these where I, I need to get my put my glasses on. Usually that's for reading things up close. Hopefully I won't be. Um, one of these days I'm going to need to visit an eye doctor. I probably told my wife I supposed I should probably do that the next couple of weeks. Anyway, um, Caleb said, hi, Andrew, I sent my cell sheet roughly three weeks ago. <clears throat> One, it waited two weeks and followed up with an email, still no response. Would you view this as good or bad? I don't view it as either. I view it as normal. So, but here's what I'm getting from what you said. When you said you sent your cell sheet and you sent it three weeks ago, and then you followed up, waited two weeks and followed up again. It sounds like you're just submitting to one company and that's great. I mean, you're getting going. That's fantastic. Maybe you're only talking about a particular company, but when I give this advice, guys, I'm not always, I have to make assumptions. And then sometimes the assumptions are incorrect about you in particular, but I want the advice to apply to everybody listening. So don't always go, well, he didn't have it quite right. Well, I was trying to give advice for the general audience as well. Okay. So I don't have all the information from Caleb, but if you're just reaching out to one company at a time, you'll never, you'll never be successful. Um, you have to reach out to multiple at the same time. So again, that's not what Caleb's saying. Maybe it's just the experience with one particular company, but most people don't reach out to enough companies. So it's pretty normal. You you sent the sell sheet. Um, now, I'm assuming you asked and they said, okay, if you sent it unsolicited, but let's assume you said they said, okay. And then two weeks I went by and you sent a follow-up and that follow-up should always be kind of, forwarding the prior email so they can see you sent it before and still no response is pretty normal. 
people could trip out on it but i said i could send it and it's like and i needed to send it five times and they got back to me and they licensed it or they said no thank you or whatever it's pretty normal they're just very busy inundated slammed with email so um i'd say that's pretty normal man but if you're not reaching out to more than that one company you're making a giant mistake it's it's going to take freaking forever you know so anyway i just take little bits and pieces that you guys may mean or not mean from your question and just to make sure it's beneficial for everybody um so just to be clear too we don't just do this youtube show we have some best-selling books and we coach our students we've been doing that for 21 years and I don't know if you guys have subscribed to my newsletter or maybe you're on our LinkedIn feed and you see our students licensing stuff every week, those people are our students. There's a huge benefit to getting coaching if you guys are interested at some point. But I'm not here to give you guys a sales pitch. Um, I just wanted to mention that because so many people were so light on that. The people are like, oh, I didn't know what you guys did. I'm like, haven't you referred, listened to us refer to our students bazillions of times? And they're like, yeah, I wasn't sure. I thought you meant just students on link on uh, YouTube. And so we we have students. We've been doing that for 21 years. Um, Tommy said, who could I hire to make a good sell sheet? Us. Um, you know, you can go to InventRight and you can go to our design services and you can hire us. Um, or you could go somewhere else. But realize um, that a graphic designer, so the way that we work it when our coaches guide um, they're guiding the student to make sure the marketing is really solid. You know, they're they're giving the students some direction. The student does it because we want them to learn. Then they come back and then we fix it up with them. We want our students to struggle a little bit between that one week call so that they not not a lot, but a little bit. So they're actually doing it because if we just did everything for our students, they wouldn't learn anything. Then they wouldn't be able to license their second, third, fourth, fifth product and work on more products. But when we you say, okay, here's generally what I think we're doing here. Why don't you give it a shot? Then you feel it, you experience it. Then they come back on the next call and the coach says, okay, let's fix this up. So what we're doing there on this particular step for a sell sheet is making sure that the marketing is good or your thoughts about the picture is good or your thoughts about the bullet points good, the one sentence benefit statement. It's really hard to create a sell sheet that companies get in six to 10 seconds. And we don't do any other type. If it's not instantly understandable with, I don't know, I wouldn't say eight seconds is instant, but within eight seconds, it's not good enough. It's not. And you're just wasting your time sending anything that's not understandable in six to 10 seconds. Um, and a lot of inventors think it is because you've been up in your own head about it for weeks, months, or years, or sometimes a decade. And it's like, you're not thinking like somebody that's seeing it for the first time. So Tommy, um, what we do is our coaches help our students um, do the do the marketing, and then they send it to our design studio where the designers make it pretty. But our designers are not marketers; they're just making stuff pretty and doing what you and the coach told them to do. So if you go to a designer and you give them crap marketing, pardon my language or not, I meant to say it. If you give them crap marketing, it's going to be a pretty piece of crap sell sheet. <laughs> That's the way I got to put it. All right. And you don't want a pretty piece of crap sell sheet because if you bother to do what we guide you to do and reach out to like 30 companies, you know, oh, nobody's interested. Maybe they weren't interested because your sell sheets suck. Right. And so it's got to be really, really good. So don't just look for a designer. You know, if you're not, you know, signing up with us and getting our help, then um, make sure that you don't just have a designer. You need somebody that knows how to do marketing and do it well. Um, 
Voyage Travel says, can a new design for an already existing product be licensed like different designs for a broom or something? So I think a lot of inventors have this grand misperception that all products are patented. Like brooms have been around since the beginning of time, you know, pretty much. Um, I think it's probably some sort of broom that a caveman used to clean their cave. I wouldn't be surprised if you if you looked at um, people that are, are doing that sort of work. They'd be, all, oh, yeah, they use brooms. You know, so, um, you know, patents are for 20 years. And so and then also just a lot of new products are not patented. So, um, you know, it's not like, well, I can't do a broom because somebody else has done it. It's like a lot of these products aren't patented. And, you know, when you see like 10 companies doing a certain type of product, there's probably no patent on that. Or maybe some of them have a patent on some little piece of it, but the other guys can do the base thing. So let's say the base thing is the broom itself. But there was a particular mechanism that you hold that's very unique. I mean, a broom is a stick and a brush on the end, right? So getting back to your question, can you design for an already existing product, like a different design for a broom or something? So you're giving that as an example. So yeah, if you had... It doesn't have to have functionality and utility. So to get a design, a utility patent, you have to have some sort of functionality, like this hinge over here, this mechanism here, and something is providing some sort of additional um, benefit or functionality for the patent office to give you a patent. Um, but there's a lot of products, like maybe they just make a broom with pretty flowers on it, you know, on the, on the stick, you know. Could you license that? Yeah, I mean, we have one of our students, um, June, she does nothing but... Um, uh, license uh, graphics and art artwork. Artwork is the way to put it. Artwork on companies' products. So she could go to a broom company and say, hey, you know, here's my designs. I'd love to license them to put them on your broom handles, if you will, if you wanted to. I think they sometimes heat shrink wrap broom handles with some sort of design or something. Um, so you can definitely license uh, a new design of an already, most Almost all inventions are new designs of existing products. Inventors don't think they are, but they are. And then I explain to them how they are. So absolutely, you can license that. You can also license non-patentable products. Now, our students, even when they, a product is like, it's like, okay, that might be a stretch to get a patent on that. But that's a that's still sellable product. You know, we tell them to file a provisional patent application. And then some companies are like, yeah, we don't care about patents. Yeah, we'll license it. As long as they sign a licensing agreement that commits them to pay you quarterly royalties, you don't have to have a patent to be getting paid royalties. Well, why would a company pay me for that is what I hear quite often. And I'm like, because not all these companies are just a bunch of sleazeballs ready to screw you over. You came to them with the idea. You showed it to them. They didn't have it. They should pay you if they're going to use it, you know. And so, but well, let's say the question, company was questionable and it says patent pending on the sell sheet because you spent 75 bucks and we've guided you to file your provisional patent. Um, so it kind of keeps things looking professional. So that, great question, uh, Caleb, Tommy, and Voyage Travel. And if you guys have a handle and you want to type your first name, you're welcome to do that, or I'll read your handle, whatever works for you. Um, Latifa said, hi, Andrew. Latifa from Toronto, Canada. I filed a PPA and was wondering if I can contact companies outside the USA, Canada, China. You're probably not going to be reaching out to Chinese companies. Um, or does the PPA only protect in the U.S.? If so, what would you suggest? So if you file a U.S. provisional patent application, patents are are meant for the country that they're in. So people go, well, is my U.S. patent going to protect me in, in China or in Germany? I'm like, no, patents are for the country that they're in. But here's something cool. 
the PPA, the provisional patent application, is only 75 bucks, right? And the U.S. is part of what's called the PCT, Patent Cooperation Treaty. And like Europe, Australia, U.S., tons of other countries are part of the PCT. So in a roundabout way, don't pick on me with the details if you guys are some patent geeks there because I don't have time to get into the details. But in a roundabout way, a U.S. provisional patent is a placeholder to be able to file in other PCT patent cooperation treaty countries later. I rarely see our students have to do it because usually it's a U.S. company or a um, or an Asian or or a European company that's really big in the U.S. I consider that the same as a U.S. company. So and so delineating what I mean by that. So if a company is really big in the U.S. and they're a European company. Well, then they've got the they got Americans working for them here. They got that certain vibe, which is in the U.S. We believe that anything can, anybody can do anything if they put their mind to it. So U.S. companies and people in them aren't grilling um, inventors or product developers like, "What's your portfolio? Who are you? Why would we work with you? You're not a big company." Like that's not really the feeling we have here. If they see a good idea, they want it. Europe's a little bit more old school, and so it's harder to close a deal there. So if it was a European company, for example, that is only in Europe, I consider that very different than the company that's big in the U.S. and they're European company, but they're also sell in Europe. So I consider them American company. I would say even some for the big Asian companies, like a terrible example, but like a Samsung or something. If they're a really big Asian company and they're really big here in the U.S. and they have their own brand, which you don't see a lot of, um, then, then that's the same as licensing to a U.S. company. So, um, you know, so in a roundabout way, Latifa, that PPA is giving you rights as a stakeholder in the ground to file in other countries, providing you do one quasi claim in your PPA. But I've never seen anybody have to prove that. So that's not, I'm not really that concerned about that. Um, Latifa had another part of her question. Also, when I filed the PPA, I didn't sign my microentity certificate and therefore was changed an ex charged an extra $360 by the patent office. Now that I sent a signed form, can I request a refund? So here's one thing that is going to answer your question, but also you guys might be surprised by. The patent office is in the business of selling patents. Okay. They're completely self-funded and actually some other government agencies have been known to siphon off money from the patent office, which sucks because it's, it's so cool that there is a government agency that is self-funding, you know, it doesn't require tax dollars. So, um, so they're a little bit more customer-oriented than the typical government institution, in my opinion. When you call that 800 number, people are blown away by how helpful they are. If, if you call somebody there and they're not helpful, the 800 number or the assistance center, maybe they'll transfer you over there, the inventor assistance center, um, then, then just say, oh, okay, thank you very much. Hang up. Like call back 30 minutes later to get somebody different and you will get somebody helpful, guaranteed. So what I recommend, Latif, is you call and go, hey, I messed up. I paid the full fee, but I'm really a micro entity. Can I get a refund for this? I mean, if you had known that a, 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 a filing as a micro entity only cost you 75 bucks, um, maybe you didn't know that or maybe you just, this is what they're telling me to pay, so I have to pay it. You didn't have to do that. Um, but they're very kind and helpful and they, they want your returning business. So call the 800 number, get some help, see what you can get back. I've never really come across that before where somebody paid the bigger fee. Usually what I people file and they don't pay at all. 
they're like, oh, they're saying it's delinquent. I got this letter. I'm like, just file it again. It's not a big deal if you didn't pay the fee and just let that one go delinquent if, if you didn't pay. Anyway, um, then Latifah said, thanks so much for this live Q&A. This is one of the best channels worth someone's time. You're welcome, Latifah. Um, Chris says, thank you. I have lists of potential products to develop. Should I go with a product I am passionate about or one that is just simple and easy for this first try? Well, ideally, it'd be one you're passionate about and is easy. But I have had students, we've been doing this for 21 years. I've had students that are like really, really worried about working on their first project. I'm like, well, then work on a nice, simple one. Get your feet wet. You'll be more comfortable with the process. Then work on the one that's super, super important to you. So, um, but I wouldn't work on products that you don't care about. You know, you didn't say don't care about. You said passionate about. Um, And so, yeah, I would recommend if you're open to it, I would recommend working on a simpler project as opposed to a harder project that you might be a little bit more passionate about than the simple project. Absolutely. I think that's a great thing to do because if the project is simple, it doesn't have any major manufacturing issues and it's fairly easy to represent in a marketing piece and fairly easy to make your list of companies. You might, when people are new, they don't know what an easy project is as opposed to a hard. So you might think you do and you don't, but you probably have some ideas. You can kind of tell this one's harder than the other ones. Um, then I think that could be very beneficial to do that. I really like that idea. It sounds like maybe you've been listening to us because I think we've said that before. Um, uh, let's see. Margie said, uh, Nelm said, hi, Andrew. I was on your new website last week, ready to sign up for Smart IP, but couldn't find it. Can you tell us if it's still available or what happened to it? Thank you. Yeah, Smart IP is our solution for filing provisional patents, and that's just included with our full coaching program right now. It's included with our academy program and our one-on-one coaching program, but we're no longer selling that separately. So um, let's see. Mariana said, hi, Andrew. If a company doesn't like the idea you sent them, could they be inspired by your idea and make changes to yours and not count you count you in or would you still be included in part of the agreement even though they've made changes to it okay so um i have had and this isn't what you're talking about but it's a related thing i'll talk about and then i'll talk about yours i've had students over the years that are really concerned like they're giving me weird vibes they said they were interested and you know to be honest, a lot of time what happens is the company's really interested. They start looking at two more and then they say they're not interested. And then the inventor is suspicious. And, and I don't think there's cause for that 99.9 times out of 100. But inventors do get tripped out about that. It's like, well, okay, just because they showed initial interest, they looked into the details, maybe it can be made at a reasonable price. Maybe they had internal reasons, they had discussions but they don't want to share that with you as to why they decided not to move forward with it. And then a few invent of our students will get a little worried about that. So I say, you know, no worries. Like, first of all, if it's a really weird scenario, I give them some things to say and do to kind of uh, put the company on notice, but not looking at all paranoid. Okay. But then mostly I say, just monitor their website, look at it once in a while. It's good to stay in tune with the industry anyway and see if they have new products and stuff. And I have never had an inventor ever come back to me saying, Look, I sent to this company. We've had students in over 65 countries over 21 years. Um, so I've never had anybody say to me, I sent to this company and then later they knocked me off. It'll happen one day, but it hasn't happened yet. So um, so that's on that side. Now, Miriam's not saying that. Mariana, sorry, Mariana. Um, 
Could they be inspired by your idea and then not count you in? Yeah, I mean, if they see a lot of ideas, like maybe they showed it to their designer and then two years later, they see something else and then they have this thought and they forgot they saw it, you know? Now, I have never seen that happen. Would I think that that's a reason to be afraid and not work on licensing your products? Hell no. And, you know, most of the time, inventors do not get ripped off. Most inventors rip themselves off. They rip themselves out of, off out of their own fears. And I'm not saying you're fearful here, but there's a little bit of fear, definitely. And other people have a lot of fear. And like they're waiting for a patent to issue before they reach out. I'm like, are you freaking kidding me? You're going to spend 12 grand on a patent, wait for it to issue three years, and then show it to companies? That's just freaking stupid. File a provisional patent, use the year the patent office gives you, and then go shopping. Now, I realize a lot of you have already filed patents. I'm not giving you guys a hard time. You've already done that. But there's just no need now that you know this to go out and file a patent, wait for it to issue. You can file a provisional. You're not waiting for anything. You're not waiting for anybody. Um, so Mariana said, or would you still be included as part of the agreement? Well, you, you know, if you see that they did something, reach back out. But have a discussion with them about the product. You know, they said no. They didn't want to move forward. And, you know, sometimes they'll give you feedback. Sometimes they won't. Um, so, yeah, if you saw that they came out with something and you created that paper trail, you created that email paper trail, then you can always go back to them. I've never talked to a student that's ever had to do that before. Um, but it could happen. And, um yeah. So I wouldn't be really worried about it. If you don't reach out to any companies, you just screwed yourself, you know. Um, uh, Chris said, should we be sticking with one project at a time or have multiple projects going simultaneously? Once you've been through the process, been through the entire process, then I highly recommend working on multiple simultaneously. But even with our coaching, when somebody's brand new to it, to do two or three at a time. Like we have a policy with our students. Fully encourage you to work on multiple, but at the beginning, just work on one because then you experience the entire process with one, then you can apply it to more, you know? And so then you can work on two or three at a time. So, but we don't let people come out of the gate doing two or three at a time because then they're doing everything, two or three projects in duplicate, triplicate, and people have a hard time with one when they're learning because at the first, your first project, whether you're with us or not with us, you know, as far as getting coaching, you're learning and you're doing. Like we don't have quizzes and tests. We just jump in with our students and we help them start working on their project, you know, from day one. And so, um, but you're still learning at the same time you're doing. And that second project goes two to 10 times faster every time. So I do not recommend if you've never been through the entire process to work on more than one at a time get through the entire process and then do that. Uh, let's see. Deidre said, hi, Andrew. Thank you for all your wonderful free advice. Um, you were the best. Thank you. Got lots of exclamation marks. Andrew, how long after a product is launched does it take before it hits store shelves? So that's taking a little bit longer now um, because of the supply chain issues. But I haven't seen the projects that are students have closed with companies. I haven't seen them fall out. I just see that they're taking longer. So, and you can imagine, and you sh that should make you happy in a way. And I'll explain why. I'm trying to bait you guys a little bit here. Um, 
these big companies will always get a product to market faster and in a bigger way and better funded with the entire staff to make it happen and make it happen right than you ever would if you tried to do it on your own. And that is a huge advantage. First to market is huge. That's a bigger protection than any patent. So when you license to that big company, you are that big company. And that is tremendously beneficial. So, um, so if you're like, oh, well, but Andrew, because of supply chain issues, it's taking, okay, so if it's taking another additional two months, three months, four months, five months to launch the product, um, it's still way faster than if you try to venture the product and mortgage your house and home and, you know, and, and hire employees and try to make and sell this thing yourself. So, uh, but that's not specifically answering your question. So I would say, I would say, you know, on average, pre-COVID, I would say six months to 14 months, 16 months was typical. And then I would probably add anywhere from one to four months onto that now. So it's almost over a year before you start to see royalties. That's just reality, guys. You know, to launch a product on a large scale and get out there big and fast, that's what it takes companies to do. And they got a lot of, I mean, there's um, one company, one of our uh, our students licensed to, I think they have, um, they have over 5,000 SKUs. It's over 5,000 products. Like once you're part of that machine though, oh my God, you know, it's amazing. So don't expect, this is not get rich quick. Steven and myself were the co-founders here. We're very honest with people. This is not like make a million dollars overnight crap. There's so many people selling you that and it's all BS anyway. And you're not selling a few ch- few on eBay or a few on Etsy and you're going to make a few dollars back here. There. It's an all or nothing thing. You're going to be making a pretty decent amount of money um, or nothing at all. And it can vary tremendously on the amount of money you make depending on the product, how much volume they sell, of course. But um, you're they're selling significant volume and you're getting a royalty on every unit. So um, it takes takes a while. So uh, Deidre, the answer is I would not expect anything less than a year. I think a year is reasonable. It could take a little bit longer these days and it can be shorter. I've seen companies do it super quick. I just don't like to say that because it's not typical. Okay. I've seen it happen on uh, things that could happen quicker. I'll give these guys some examples like a, a sewn product. And that doesn't mean you guys should work on sewn products for this one reason, but there's no tooling. They can get it over there to Asia and they just start sewing it up and they, you know, there's no tooling. There's no big injection mold needs to be made. So those can typically go a lot quicker. Um, okay. Let's see. George said, what would you do with a keyboard type invention? I don't know. License it, George. Um, license it. You know, the, 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 um, market for like computer accessories is a little weird. It's a little disconnected where they sell stuff. Now it's probably mostly just on, on Amazon. When I used to go to like micro center or Fry's electronics or things like that, it's like that area of the store for computer accessories is a little weird, not so much keyboards, but um, I would license it. I know a guy that spoke to my inventors association many times. He was actually a patent agent and the patent agent is like a patent attorney but they can write patents, but they can't go to court. That's what a patent agent is. And he was a patent agent, really kind of humble guy. And he created a new mouse, which was kind of like in the handshake position. And um, he was actually an author too. He, he, he wrote a, a book on patents as well. And um, I heard that he, he had, he had uh, sold that product and, and 
I heard from somebody that lives in, I don't, I haven't lived in Silicon Valley for 13 years that they saw him driving around in like a Lamborghini or something like that. Like he quit being a pat agent. He made so much freaking money from this computer mouse. He, he quit being a patent agent and uh, I don't know, no matter what amount of money I have, I wouldn't buy a Lamborghini, but, but he did. And um, he's a great guy. And I talked to somebody that said they saw him driving around and I'm pretty certain that money was from that project. It could have been from something else. So I don't want to say. So um, if you have a new keyboard type invention, you're going to license to companies that make keyboards. It's just that simple. Um, so hopefully that's helpful, George. Um, Alexand Alexandri, uh, the, the opening at the beginning of the Q&A is a little rough. It seems like you answer a previous question. How about, hi, guys, welcome to Q&A. Just saying, uh, I don't know why, why that would be. Um, you're talking about, yeah, I don't know why that would be. Usually I just ramble a little bit, talk a little bit about licensing. I think you're coming on late. Um, you know, what must be happening, this is interesting, I'm assuming when I click go live that you guys all know, I think you're just joining late. Um, if you're already in there, you should be seeing me stream live. I think you're getting a notification maybe in YouTube and then we're already hitting some questions. You can go back and watch the beginning if you want. You probably didn't miss too much. So, but no, it's streaming live from the second I go. I, I go I'll go back and double check, Alexandria, but I think we're good there. Um, Okay, Derek said a company likes two of my products, and they said give them, give them to the end of February to see if they can make them, and go from there. I like how the meeting went. What do you think? That's fantastic. I would say, what is it you're looking into, and and is there anything I can do to help? So if they're, I think they're probably basically wanting to see if they can make it and make it at a reasonable price, and so clarify that's what they're looking to do. That's pretty much what you said. And, and ask them, is there anything that you can provide them? Is there anything that they need? So that's fantastic. My other advice, which might shock some of you guys, is get on the phone, get on LinkedIn message and reach out to more companies. You know, if every time you get a little interest, you stop, which was what almost all inventors do outside of InventRight, this will take freaking forever. It's very common to get interest and then for it to fall off. I'm not saying it's going to happen, Derek. It sounds fantastic. But you need to reach out to more companies. Oh, but what if I have interest in multiple companies? Congratulations. It's not a problem, guys. Um, we have a million ways of dealing with that. So keep reaching out to more companies, Derek. Is Now is not the time to stop. Because So they said end of February. Maybe you have an interest before. So let's say a month and a half. So let's say end of February, they go, oh, we decided not to. And you're like, oh, crap. And you start reaching out to more companies. Get interest from another one. Okay, now you stop again. And that one's another two months. And then they come back to you. Oh, we decided not to. And then... You know, if you're just stringing this thing along forever, don't do that, guys. That's one of the biggest mistakes I see inventors make. And then you're just sitting around feeling anxious and or feeling like you're proud of yourself. Oh, I got this deal. So now I'm just going to sit. No, don't do that. That's not being professional. So um, so that's fantastic, Derek. Good on you, man. Uh, Matt said, and if you need any help, we're here. You know, we we, we guide through people through negotiations. Um that seems like a critical place where you could get some help there. Uh, Matt says, when filing a PPA for a product that also has ornamental design characteristics, should the drawings be generic or include the ornamental characteristics or both um, when filing a PPA? Well, you know, so a, a provisional patent is, is a utility patent. So um, you can't 
patent something ornamental except with the design patent. And so uh, you can put it in the PPA if you want, but it won't make any difference. So if it's just ornamental and it doesn't have any functionality, I see no harm with putting it in the PPA, but it's not going to protect the ornamental design because utility patents don't protect ornamental designs. They protect functionality. Okay. So, and that's not legal advice because I haven't seen your product. Consult an attorney if you need legal advice. But um, let's see. Uh, well, you know, I got a similar question for Chris uh, said, does InventRight promote collaboration between the students or suggest going in alone? So I got a similar question last week and, and a lot of, I like two, I was kind of surprised. I got like two or three people thanking me for it. And I said, basically last week, I said, putting two inventors is the worst thing you could do together. Now I got, I have people come on board, their husband and wife, their best friends and they're both inventors that's fine and they they already decided they're working on stuff nothing wrong with that but to purposely seek out another inventor to team up with i don't understand that you have the same skill set why would you do that um also the other inventor is always going to be want to work on their project and so i've seen this before it's like oh no let's work on mine and the one's like no let's work on mine and then nobody's going to be as excited about your idea as you so i, I see no purpose whatsoever in not whatsoever, in most situations to team up with another inventor. Um, if you want to team up with somebody else, you know, team up with people that have a person that has sales skills if you don't. Although I don't believe in that either. We guide people that have never made a sales call in their life. They're like, for instance, most engineers don't like sales. I've seen met some engineers that are really good at sales too. And the last thing I want to do is reach out on LinkedIn, reach out on the phone, and they do it and they're like, they feel really empowered. You can't possibly train somebody else to do it in the long run if you want to train somebody if you haven't done it. So looking for somebody that's just going to make the sales call for you. Are they going to be as enthusiastic? Are they going to do and say all the right things? Um, and then with that in mind, too, any potential partner you can find probably doesn't understand licensing. If they don't thoroughly understand licensing. You should not be making them your business partner. You know. Um, now, with that said, you could have a business partner that is strong in sales. You understand licensing. You do that part. I'll do this part, that sort of thing. Um, I, I don't see that working out that well a lot of the time. Um, you're kind of like dragging them along because they're not as excited about your product as you. I could see that working, but I think it's better that you guys all do it yourself. And if then you want to farm it out, then you'll know if they're doing it right. But if you never did it yourself, now you're pretty disempowered with knowing how to manage people that are going to do other parts of the process. So um, I, I suggest going it alone. I do not suggest partnering with another inventor. Now, partnering with somebody else your spouse, a friend, whatever, if if you guys have the good dynamics of keeping each other moving forward, I think that can be very beneficial. And we guide our students. People are worried like, oh, can I get my spouse or my friend on because they're there? I'm like, yeah, we're not going to charge you for another membership. You're on the same call. We're getting you on the same projects. Absolutely. That can be a, nothing but a positive thing. So I don't want to give the impression that having a partner is a negative thing. Your specific question is, should I seek out another inventor to partner with? And my answer is, hell no, don't do that. Um, for all the reasons I just stated. Let's see, Scuba Steve. Uh, I always like saying Scuba Steve. Uh, hey, Andrew, if two or more people who don't know about each other file an identical PPA around the same time, can they both get a licensing deal through separate companies? Okay, so first off, PPAs aren't protection. 
they are a stick in the sand that if you later follow utility patent reference that provisional, then you'll get that date from that provisional. So, you know, people ask me this, oh, but if but if nobody can see what I did with the provisional, then somebody else could have filed it. Yes, somebody could have. But in all the years we've been doing that, I've never seen that happen. I never, um, I did on this product, actually, this interesting product, one of our former students, um, Chuck, he, I think it was on this one. It could have been on another one, but it doesn't matter. It's, it's, I'm 99% sure it's this product, but it could have been another product. It's a, it's a dog toy, by the way, has treats in it. My dog destroyed it, which she's an animal, um, <laughs> literally. Uh, but she's a golden doodle, which golden doodles, you don't normally think that they could tear, you think Pitbull or something or Bull Massive would tear something like this apart. But oh no, she's brutal. And the other one just like nibbles at it. Can't, doesn't tear any dog toys apart. But anyway, the point with this is, um, this is a very unusual story, uh, uh, which is an anomaly, guys, not normal. So I hate to tell these unusual stories, but because then people go, oh, that's going to happen. And I'm like, no, it's not going to happen. It's the only time I've ever seen it. So Chuck reached out to a company and he's a professional inventor now. He was one of our students and he does a lot of pet toys and stuff. And then somebody else reached out with more or less the same thing, like within a couple of weeks. And the company was so cool. They said to both of them, they said, guys, you submitted to us around the same time. Um, do you guys want to work together? And guess what? They decided to work together on it. This is unusual. I've never seen this before. So I don't think this. they decided to work together on it. They licensed it together and they actually partner because they're both really professional. Not, they're not green new inventors. And they worked on other projects together sometimes too now. So that was very unusual. But could somebody have filed a similar PPA to you? Yes. Is it something that you need to even think about or worry about? Hell no. Um, who, whichever one of you filed a PPA and then filed a utility, your priority date will be whoever filed that PPA first, right? Um, have I ever seen that happen? Never, never once. Um, so don't, don't make decisions. And you didn't know that, but don't make decisions based on something that you know. Andrew said, They've been doing this for 21 years, students in 65 countries, God knows how many students over that period of time. And I've never seen that be a problem. And then there's something else that I, I might say, especially if you're getting coaching is very beneficial. And we're like, oh, no, oh, they, that company said that. Oh, yeah, that happens all the time. They email you that all the time. Here's how you want to handle it. So knowing that's a big benefit of having a coach, knowing what's an anomaly and knowing what is normal. And I can't tell you how many times I've talked to inventors. They, they tell me about something weird that happened to them. And they talk about it like it's fact, like it's solid. This always happens. I'm like, that's the most bizarre thing I've ever seen. No, that doesn't happen. I've literally never seen that happen. Or I've seen that happen like once in a blue moon. And they're like, oh, really? Well, it happened to me. I'm like, and so that's what I get really worried when inventors are working on their own. And they have a very small sample size of experience. And they're jumping to these conclusions. But, you know, with this Q&A, we're helping clear it up a little bit. If you ever decide to get our coaching, we'll help clear up stuff like that, you know, on a one-on-one -on -one basis. Um, so that's great as well. Um, let's see. Now I lost my place. Oh, that was from Scuba Steve. Uh, Daryl says, keep up the good work, Andrew. Thank you, Daryl. Uh, Tommy says, what computer software is a must for all licensees? Um, I think you, so people get confused on this and I can understand. So the inventor, you, the inventor, the product developer, you're the license or 
OR, licensor, and the company that licenses the product from you is the licensee. So you said what computer software is a must for all licensees. I think you mean licensors because you don't care about them. So um, email, <laughs> which we all have. I think, uh, so I won't, I'll, I'm geeky with the software, so I'll get into it. Um, but I'm going to expand on it too. I'm going to expand on your question, um, Tommy. Um, email, and I think an email address that is just for you licensing your products. Get a new one. Just put your first name, last name, designs at Gmail. So Andrew Krauss designs at Gmail. Make it simple. It'll work for anything you're working on because it says designs, okay? And in the Gmail, I'm not always the biggest fan of Google in some ways, but um, a lot of people in corporate America use Gmail, so it looks familiar to them. So to them, it'll look, for, it'll look professional, okay? Um, so you need email and you need a, a dedicated email address that you don't sign up for anything with. Literally, only you only use it to send to companies. So you don't want these companies' emails to get caught in your, your mess of all the crap you subscribe to, okay? So what you need is an email address, and you need a new one that is just for this, okay? Um, so you need uh, email software, obviously. It could be Gmail online, or it could be a solution. Um, I think at the beginning, you don't need a CRM or some sort of management system. It could be an Excel spreadsheet. You need something to keep track of your outreach. So, I mean, you're just getting started. You have one product and you have 30 companies. Okay, keep track of that, right? But if you're working on five products and you have 30 companies, that's 150 companies with maybe five or six outreaches each. So let's see, let's say, let's say average four outreaches each. So let me get my calculator here. Where is my freaking calculator? You think I'd be able to calculate that in my head? But so let's say you're working on five projects, and so you're saying what what for product developers like what is essential software? So some sort of management system is essential. So but let's say you're working on five projects, and each project is thirty companies, and so that is a hundred and so um, thirty times five. Oh, my computer hung up. Is 150, okay? My computer's hanging up. And then if you're having to, okay, so 30 companies times five is 150. And 30 companies times five, sorry, 150. And then let's say, let's say on average you're reaching, you're having to reach out four times before you get a hold of somebody. Could be more for some, less for some. So that's times four. So that's 600 outreaches. If you don't keep track of that stuff, there's no way. Now, with one project and you're reaching out to 30 companies, you keep track of that in Excel spreadsheet. Could be a, I don't care, it could be a freaking piece of paper if you want. It could be a notebook, but you need to write all that stuff down. Maybe you have a page for each company, you know? But you need to keep track of, most submitters don't do this. They're not keeping track. So this is a good question, um, Tommy. It's not so much the software. You need a system for reminding yourself to follow up a week later. If you don't have that system and you're just going from your brain, that's not going to work. And so some people use index. This is ancient stuff. Most of our students don't do this. Index cards and you put every, you have 30 days and then you put it out like a week. So when you get every day, you look at your index cards, you go, oh, I got to call these companies today. That's a pretty old school technique. I don't think most people do that. Um, it could be a reminder system. And on your computer of some kind, reminding you to reach out to certain people. 
Um, you could organize it in an Excel spreadsheet or in your notebook. Like this is, I'm going to look and I'll be able to know who I'm doing next week, you know, who I'm going to be reaching out to next week. So it's more being really systematic about reaching out. There's a million different ways you could do that. Um, uh, I don't really know what other software you would need. I think that we're seeing some more Zoom meetings um, these days, but more in the toy business. I'm still not seeing it that much at a lot, a lot in outside the toy business. Um, but you might need to have Zoom. I would definitely have your Zoom ready to go, be able to send a link if they want that. So I would sign up for Zoom. It's free. I think keep in mind, though, when you have the free Zoom, you get 45 minutes, which is probably longer than you ever need to talk to a company anyway. So that's probably going to do the trick there. Um, I'm big on software geek on stuff. Uh, for our international students, you'd want to get Skype and then get yourself. Um, you can put money into your account and then you can call the U.S. for a few pennies a minute. Um, if you want to look really pro, which is not necessary if you're in another country other than the U.S., you can get a Skype in number where it's a U.S. phone number. So if they call you, it goes to that Skype in number. Most of our international students don't have that. It's perfectly fine. Um, you know, they're rarely calling you, especially early up, early on. Like if a company shows interest, nine, nine and a half times out of 10, they're emailing you back. They're not calling you. It's pretty rare to get a call right back. They're going to be emailing you back. Um, so yeah, so hopefully that was helpful, Tommy. Um, okay. Caleb clarified earlier, he had sent to multiple companies and he did have their permission. Um, it's okay. Good deal. Uh, for those of you joining late, you probably don't know what we're talking about. Um, uh, Damali said, what is your, what is the one more reputable, well-respected DRTV company in your opinion? Um, none of them. Um, DRTV and infomercials have a, kind of a get rich quick feel. And that's kind of how they are. It's kind of the profile of how they work. Um, there's really only five big DRTV companies. Um, for inventors that are really skittish about worrying about getting ripped off or whatever, don't do a DRTV product. It'll make you, it'll make you freaked out. Um, a lot of inventors that have DRTV type products, they also have plenty of companies they could license to. Most of our students, when I see they have a DRTV product, I'm like, great, send this to the DRTV folks, but you also got a whole nother list of standard consumer product companies that don't do the DRTV infomercials. Uh, that you have a list of as well. And and I would say nine times out of 10, when it's a DRTV product, you also have a list of standard consumer product companies. People tend to gravitate towards DRTV because it has a get rich quick kind of feel. And there's a certain amount of truth to that. They launch it and they only go big. I mean, it's DRTV is the only place where you'll see minimum guarantees of a quarter million dollars, um, you know, because they're like, well, if we're not doing that, we don't want it anymore. And you can have it back, you know? And so... Um, what, what I'll say is if you're, if you want, be careful <laughs> with that. Um, we've had a couple students licensed to all-star. I think they're pretty cool, but, um, I don't have any opinion on, on any of the others. Um, and I, I wouldn't hesitate personally, if you guys aren't too timid, um, or worried about being ripped off. Um, and am, am I saying that DRTV companies will rip you off then by saying that? No, I'm not saying that. But there's been plenty of them that have been known to, and I don't see that in other areas. 
Now, we, even with that said, have our students got ripped off by a DRTV company? No, haven't had it happen yet, but um, might happen one day. So um, I can't uh, quote a specific company, um, but if you're that kind of worried about it, you should probably be reaching out to non-DRTV companies anyway. It's a decent question, but I can't make judgment statements on live YouTube about this one sucks and this one. Now, you didn't ask which one sucks, but I really don't have any other ones to, to recommend. Um, let's see. All right. Latifa said, oh, one last question. Do you have, know of any support groups for licensing in North America? Would love to connect with people that succeeded in licensing. One of the, one, that's one of the pieces of advice from One Simple Idea. Yeah, it's called InventRight. <laughs> so um, with our students, uh, you know, we have an alumni program, which is a non-coaching program, a small monthly fee, and, and you can network with other inventors that, that know their stuff. Um, most inventors are very clueless about licensing. They're, they don't know how to do it right. Um, and the ones that do know about licensing don't necessarily want to spend a bunch of time with newbie inventors because you're just going to ask a bunch of endless questions. And we love endless questions because that's what we specialize in. But most inventors um, that are successful at licensing, if you try to get them to mentor you, they're like, they're just not going to give you as much time as, as we would. Um, do I think it's still a good idea? Yeah. I mean, if you can find somebody that's licensed a lot of products and they want, you want to talk to them once in a while and they're cool with that, but most of them, they don't, they don't want to do that. They just don't have the time for it. And it's really hard to take people from being so green to really being a pro. And, um, it's pretty time consuming. We've had a lot of successful inventors reach out to me and they either knew about us or they didn't know about us, but somebody else told them we sh they should know about us. And they're like, Andrew, can I just send people to you guys? Like people just call me all day long and it's like, they want to take up hours of my time and I just don't have it, you know? And so we have a lot of inventors, successful inventors that will send people to us because we specialize in helping. Um, but I do agree that, you know, you want to do something, get close to people that do it. And that Latifa, that's us, you know, go to InventRight. You can see all our programs or coaching programs and and how we can help um let's see sorry i lost my place there i paged up too quick mark said we got about 10 minutes left i'm making a better prototype before i reapproach potential licensees i'm wonder worried about economic conditions and companies telling me we are not taking new projects on right now thoughts well that's how that's how companies always are so, you know, if a company before said, oh, we're not taking on new products or we're really busy right now, now they might say, oh, because of COVID, because it's an easy excuse that people accept. But what we're finding is our students are closing just as many deals and actually more deals than before COVID and before the supply chain issues. And the deals are not falling out, but it is taking companies longer to launch the products. So don't pre-assume that because of the pandemic and because of the supply chain issues that companies aren't open. Um, they might be temporarily really busy, but, and usually when people say this, it's not the company that's telling you, it's that person. So that person is basically telling you, look, I'm overwhelmed right now. I don't have time to take on a new, a new product right now. And so the company may love it. Somebody else in the company may love it, but the person you're approaching that marketing manager is just too damn busy. 
So, and that's always been the case. So um, I think just the fact that our students are closing more deals right now than before COVID says volumes. And so don't make excuses because um, inventors, you know, they you'll make a ton of excuses for reasons not to finally start reaching out to companies. Some people aren't making excuses. They just don't know how. And others will just make endless excuses to continue to delay. And so, Mark, that that is not something to worry about. I can tell you that our students are doing deals every week. So, you know, is some company going to tell you they're too busy right now? Of course they will. Is most of what you're going to get a no? Yes, you will mostly get no's. But you made that relationship with that company. You can reach out for another product later. So that no, you can, uh, you made that relationship by sending them your first product. So I think the, the the hardest thing that we need to guide our students on are it, it's just breaking them in on getting used to getting a ton of no's, but realizing that's not a no for every product you ever send. That was a no for that particular product, and you made that relationship and. People don't frame that right outside invent right. You know, they really don't. Um, okay. I, I don't know. Carl's had a two-part question, but I didn't see his first part, Carl. I'm literally not seeing it. I don't know. Sometimes people type stuff in. So, Carl, I didn't see your first part, so I apologize. But Carl's part two is thoughts. They have great cover coverage probably you were trying to say with retail and the cost to make it is down to 60 cents a unit yeah but i didn't see your first part of the question so i don't know what to how to answer um jaden said i have a software that is in a competitive field meaning the product is nothing new but i but still needed can i license it out um Okay. Well, you have a new type of software product that does what a lot of other software does. Um, could you license that? Yeah. So um, if you, maybe the company that you licensed to wanted to get into that space and because you've developed the software, you, they can now get into that space. So yes, you could license it. Um, I would like to think that you've got some feature, bobble or trinket or something in the software that's a little something different. Um, you know, but yeah, you could still license that. And with software guys, if you're a software professional, go for it, license. It won't be much any different than licensing a consumer product. But if you're just, uh, if you're like a, a housewife or a plumber or, or somebody else, and you're like, I have this new, cause everybody uses, you know, iPhones and iPads and Androids these days. And they're like, I have an idea for an app. Apps are, you got to do more. You got to show them more to license it. Okay. And so, you know, if you got a new kitchen cutting board and they look at it and they're like, how are we going to do this? And you're like, well, we're going to cut this out here and do this. And they're like, oh, okay, yeah, we got it. We're going to get some quotes. You know? But with the software, they're thinking like, oh, it's got to take six guys in a room a year to program and this and that and that. And so it's just a lot more complicated to license. And when you can't speak tech with them, which is not required in other areas, but with software, if the software geeks try to speak tech with you and then you're like, they're like, what back end we're using here? Like, I don't know. It's just a good idea. Then you're just a person with ideas and it's only in software, guys. But, you know, Jaden, I think, is in software and he's developed this product. And so, Jaden, the answer is yes. If you don't have a point of difference, you could still license to a company that wanted to get in that space, making it easier for them if you've developed this. 
Um, so that, yeah, that is a possibility. Um, Daryl said, if you're trying to sell a patent portfolio or business to be acquired, do you think it's okay to create 45 minute video to show all your IP records and competitive advantage? Um, first off, Daryl, uh, I mean, we have students that have come on board with us and they've been venturing the product and it's a variety like Andrew, I'm struggling. I'm not even making minimum wage or I'm in debt hundreds of thousands of dollars all the way to, you know, I grossed a million dollars last year, but I know a big company can do better. I need to license this. So we get all sorts of people that have been venturing. So the question for you, Daryl, is have you been selling the product? You're not going to sell your patent portfolio and your business and um, unless you have distribution, you know, so otherwise it's a licensing deal. But when you do have a business where you have distribution, you have tooling, you have manufacturing, you have all these things figured out, you have, you're in 10,000 stores. Yeah, you can get some serious upfront fees for that. You're selling the business plus you're doing a licensing deal. So, but Daryl, I don't know. Um, I don't know uh, where you are with it. Um, to sell a patent portfolio doesn't make sense for most companies, you know. Now, if you've been venturing this, like I had... Um, I had a student, he was a Canadian student. He licensed to a company, a camping company. He licensed the entire line of camping goods. He was only showing one. They said, what else you got? What else you got? And he showed them all the stuff. And they're like, we want to license the whole line. It's not very typical. So I don't have enough information to go on there, Daryl, but you're not going to be selling your business if you haven't sold anything. You're not selling your business then. There's no business to sell. Um, but you could you license multiple products as your portfolio, as you put it? But emphasizing the fact the way you're emphasizing it is all wrong as well. You don't license your patent portfolio. You license products and you're not even licensing the products. You're licensing the products benefit because they know their customers be intrigued by the benefit. So hopefully that was helpful for everybody. And I know some of these answers I give isn't what you guys expect, which I love because it's helping program your guys' brains to think right. Um, uh okay leon says i i think it, it says patient but i think you meant patent i patent the toy the sling pop a glove can you guys that sling water balloons and i pissed it i pissed it i pissed it like five different companies you mean i pitched it to five different companies i think it's a good idea invention what should I do next? Guys, work on your, your English when you write. Okay, come on, Leon. Um, but thank you. Good good question, Leon. Okay, so you pitched, you you patented, I think you patented, I don't know if you pitched it. Uh, five different companies, and I think it's a good idea. What should I do next? Well, okay, so Leon, five companies isn't nearly enough. If you've got a toy, you should be reaching out to 30 or 40 companies. So that's what you should do. Um, you should have somebody that um, is a good marketer or coaches are, but if it's not one of our coaches, you should have somebody look at your sell sheet, make sure what you're sending is good because 95% of inventors when I, outside of Inventrite, when I see their sell sheets, they're not good enough. They need to get the product in six to 10 seconds. If it's kind of like a fun toy thing, it needs to be, um, when it's kind of like a fun toy thing, it needs, it needs to show the fun because toys are a little bit different, right? It's not like, oh, it helps you, 
prevent from cutting your fingers when you're cutting vegetables, right? Like that's a clear benefit. But with toys, it's like you're selling fun, excitement. And you kind of want to show that. So are you showing that? So what you should do to answer your question, Leon, is reach out to a lot more companies and make sure whatever you're sending is good because most inventors, what they're sending is not good. And you can go gung-ho, reach out 30 companies, but if what you send them sucks, they're not going to show interest, right? So they need to get it in six to 10 seconds. Not an easy thing to do. Um, but great question. Thank you, Leon. Um, uh, Waleed said, hi, Andrew. What is LC? What is LC? Is it a system only in the U.S.? I don't know what you mean, LC. What? Oh, but I'll answer the second part. What if I'm a, a non-citizen trying to license the U.S.? Nobody cares. We've had students in 65 countries. They don't care if you're from another country filing the provisional patent. You have all the same rights. And then when you send, they don't care. It doesn't make a difference. We have students all over the world that have licensed to U.S. companies. It doesn't matter. And that's a beautiful thing because the amount of money you can learn with licensing is quite large, even more so in other countries other than the U.S. So don't ever limit yourself to your own geography. And I have people in the small towns in the U.S. that say, oh, I live in a small town, Andrew. I'm like, I don't care. They don't care. doesn't matter if you live in a small town. Or I talked to one of our former students in Bali the other day. He He's actually American, I think. And he I don't know if he's American or Canadian, but he lives in Bali. And people from Bali, I was talking to um, one of our former students in Malaysia the other day. Um, it makes no difference, Wally. Never think that's going to hold you back. It absolutely does not. So I'm glad I was able to say that for all of those of you that are not in the U.S. or Canada. Uh, Leon said, I pitched to, to companies. They all said no. What should I do next? My guess is I'm 99% sure, Leon, you did not make a complete list. Also, take another look at your marketing materials. If you need to resend and go, hey, I realize my marketing materials are not good. Can you give us a five-second look? Only if you really fix it. Um, and then another thing you can do is reach out six or eight months later to all the same companies that said no and send it to them again. I get students licensing all the time that way. Do not send to companies that said no because of this and you can't fix it. But most of what you're going to get with your licensing is non-specific no's. Not, not this time, not a right match. Reach out to those companies again and you're like, Andrew, why would I do that? Well, if you hit them at the right time, maybe the first time wasn't the right time. They're inundated. They're busy. Second time, two weeks earlier, you get lucky and their boss said, we need new products. And now one of these 30 that you're resending, they're, they're taking a look at it. And now they're showing interest. Most inventors would never do that. We got our invent rent students to do that. So um, we're about two minutes past here. I didn't get to um, everybody's questions. Let me see if there's a few I can go a few minutes over, try to answer, do a rapid fire on a few ones from people's names I haven't seen. Um, uh, Carmel said, hi, Andrew, I've been trying to license one of my products for a few years now, and I feel like I've hit a wall. How do you keep going when you feel defeated with a certain product? Um, you're, Carmel, you probably, you, you have no help. So what made you assume you know you're doing this and doing it right? And if you say our YouTube shows, I worry about that sometimes. So I mean, you like, Steven's saying this a lot lately now, and I agree with him. Um, you, don't, you don't decide one day you're going to be a plumber. You put an ad up 
And I know you need certification for that, but let's say you didn't. And then you just start trying to fix people's plumbing. You don't try to be a professional football player. You don't try to be a doctor. You don't even try to do administrative billing without getting some sort of training. But for some reason, inventors feel like, oh, I'll just jump in. And they make all these assumptions that are wrong. So Carmel, even if you read all our books and watched all our videos, I bet you're doing a bunch of stuff wrong. So um, drop drop me an email at, at Andrew at InventRight and um, say, you know, I was on your YouTube live stream and you told me to book a call with you to talk about the program. I'm going to talk to you about the program. I'm going to talk to you about the coaching, but I'd also like to hear from you um, what it is that you're doing because then I can, I can, I can go, Oh, you're doing everything right. My guess is you're not. Okay. And then you could sign up and if you, if you can afford it and do the coaching, we can do the Academy if you can't do the full on -on one-on-one coaching. Um, Let's see if there was, Tommy Lee, I hadn't seen anything from Tommy Lee. Do we need a PPA for every product we want to license? Yes, I recommend. It's only 75 bucks, Tommy. So if you get so prolific that you're easily creating a sell sheet, a PPA, and reaching out to 30 companies, um, you could decide at some point. We do not tell our students to do this. We always say file a provisional for every product you work on. You could decide not to file it. You're privately showing some companies you get some legs, then file it later. I do not advise you to do that. And you're not I'm sure that prolific yet, but you could do that if you wanted to, but I do not advise people to do that. I would say file a provisional. It's only 75 bucks. Like once you've done it a couple of times and you did it right, it's not a big deal anymore, guys. Um, uh, but like, like if you were working on novelty products um, and you know, you got familiar with a couple of companies cause you send them a couple of novelty products and, and they're like, you're like, Hey, can I send like five or six to you at the same time. And they're like, oh yeah, we love that. That's fine. And novelty products, you know, they're not going to make quite as much money quite often. And they need to, they like to see a lot of ideas before they pick one. And so you might make friends with that guy at the company and you send him a bunch and maybe you haven't filed a provisional on some of those, you know? Um, so that would be an instance where it might make sense. Okay. Um, but I, we really tell all our students, a little disclaimer, always file a provisional before you reach out to companies. But there's an example of how you could kind of like, if you get really prolific, skate around it. But if you're not prolific and you're not working on 15, 20 projects, I, I don't see any need for it. Um, uh, Ghetto Tech said, is it feasible to license a patent in all countries, costly or selected? It's just not going to happen, guys. This delusion that you're going to license this in every country around the world ain't going to happen. Usually people are very happy with a U.S. company, Canadian company. If they're not selling in Europe, you negotiate the rights to be able to license to another company in Europe. That's fine. Um, But you're not going to be licensing this around the world in most cases. Um, There's always exceptions. Everybody thinks they're the exception. Um, but if they're not selling those particular companies, we guide our students to negotiate to, they're like, we want it worldwide. It's like, well, you don't sell worldwide. You sell in us and Canada. So we'd like to maybe negotiate and they accept that. And then maybe you try to do a deal with the European country company, but you can't, um, or you try and you can, so it's whatever you can do. So I'm all for you trying to license it as many places as you can. But if that company is selling all those places already, why do you want to hold back? You know, and most of these companies are, but they aren't all. So you can hold back and try to license those. But do you think you're going to license every little nitpicking little country around the world? 
No, 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 no. Um, uh, Richard said, will a student receive a certificate when completing the course? Um, that sounds like a, you know, it's only Europeans that ask us that normally, but Richard Johnson doesn't sound too European, but uh, no, your, your, your certification is, and we've had people ask us about that from time to time, is that you, you said, I get it to my coach. I don't need you anymore. I'll come back if I get in over my head and difficult deal, but I can do this the rest of my life now. That's your certification. And you got that certification from your coach because they guided you through one or multiple projects and you've experienced all these different scenarios and you've experienced the process. It's called experiential learning. So, um, you know, where would you show that certification? I don't know. The uh, retail uh, manufacturers license you could care less. Yeah, a lot, of, a lot of manufacturers know who you are, but a lot of them don't. I'm certified by InventRight. It just sounds kind of amateurish. Like, what's the point? Why do you need to say you're certified? You know, um, nobody cares. So they just want a good idea, getting back to what I said earlier. So um, I do get that question sometimes, though, Richard. Not as often as I would think, but... Um, Uh, let's see. I want to just see if there's one or two. Ed said, thank you very much. You're welcome, Ed. Uh, Sam said, question, is there an average life cycle for homegrown inventions? No, man, it's all over the map. I mean, just because a product as patent is 20 years doesn't mean it's going to sell for 20 years. Maybe it's a DRTV product that goes like crazy for three years and then boom, it drops down to nothing. Maybe it, Maybe it sells like just a decent amount, but sells for 15 years. It depends on the product. So it's all over the map as far as how long a product's going to sell. A lot of products go in and out of the marketplace pretty quick. The question is, is your product going to be that? Another way to keep on top of it is to always come up with new versions of the product. And don't get lazy. You licenses them, selling well. Keep them on top. Oh, hey, then here's a new version of this product to keep you on top, you know, because products will become irrelevant at some point, right? Um, so, so, you know, that's another way of keeping alive and you file another provisional for that. Maybe you file, if they want to, then you, you give you the money to file for a patent on that improvement or whatever to keep it going. Um, okay. Last one. And then we're going to call it a day because we're a good 10 minutes over here. Uh, Ward said, hi, Andrew, this is my first time on the call. Just wondering if a licensee, um, if I license a product to a company, can I also sell it on my own or would I have to negotiate that in the deal? You have to negotiate it. And guys, I'm going to give you a tip here. Do not even remotely bring that up on your first call with the company. If they get any feeling like it's my baby and I don't want to give, you're giving it to them. You're renting or leasing it to them. And if they, as long as they perform, they can hang on to it and you want them to do that. So to early on say, you know, I think I want to sell this on my own. It's like, well, and they're seeing that you got no distribution or anything. Now, I've had a lot of students that said they want to do that. And then I've had even ones that cl closed that deal with the company that in certain areas they could sell. And I've never had one that that actually did, that actually started selling it on their own. I mean, a company like, oh, yeah, we'll sell, we'll sell it to you wholesale. If you want to sell over there, that's fine or whatever, things like that. Um, so but it's amateur hour to even bring that up. Um, when you get initial interest, it's like more like a little bit way down deep in the negotiation, something you can talk about. And what I found is most people, once they start working with a company and realizing the great plans they have for the product, they're like, yeah, I don't want to do that anymore. It's like a thought that they have early on. 
And so, yeah, it's something you can negotiate, but please do not bring it up early on in the negotiations. Big, big mistake. So this is the part where I ask for a favor from you guys. If you guys aren't subscribed, please click subscribe below. Click on the icon to get notified of new uh, videos we're doing. And then just watch a bunch of our videos and like them. That would be, I spent a whole hour um, giving you guys a free hour of Q&A. People are surprised we do that. We do get a lot of people signing up with our coaching program because I do this. But Stephen and myself, we've always been advocates for promoting the licensing approach. And we're not always really just like, oh, we just want to get people to sign up with our coaching program. We do so much free advice. Stephen, as we were talking here, he's talking to a bunch of kids um, to promote licensing, to help open up their eyes to licensing and inventing. And so we do a lot to educate the community. We started a whole uh, another organization called Inventor Groups of America just to support independent inventors. Um, and and that's that's everything is completely free over there. Um, there's no coaching, of course, but we do webinars and different things like that. It's completely free. And we just put our poor money, our money into it, you know. Um, so I'll remind every you guys to take care and keep inventing. And we will catch up with you next time. See you guys. Bye.